Father, it is my prayer today that you would be glorified through this message and that someone, a man, woman, boy, or girl, may for the first time dedicate his or her life to you and that the rest of us would be able to rededicate our lives to you. Thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to pierce our hearts and judge the motives and intents of our hearts. So thank you, Lord, that as your word goes out, as the seed goes out today, we pray that the seed may find good soil, soft hearts, ready hearts, fertile hearts, hearts that want you, that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And Lord, we pray that you would produce a crop of righteousness in our lives, some 30, some 60, and even 100-fold. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for your grace and mercy that super abounds over our sin. Thank you for all that you did to put us in the blessed position that we are as your sons and daughters. And again, Dad, I pray that since you're not willing that any should perish, that today someone may say, Lord Jesus, come into my life be my savior. Lord, do it today for your glory. Give the increase for it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Turning your Bibles or on your electronic device to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And I have a simple question today. And that is is Christ your cornerstone? Is Christ your cornerstone? We've been in Psalm 118 now for several weeks. We conclude today on this resurrection day with verses 22 through 24. And the Bible reads from the New King James Version. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. The church building that you are seated in today was built by the Otter Creek Church of Christ family in 1950. This 11,000 square foot, two-story brick building was dedicated in 1950. But before this building was built, there was just land here. There was just land here. 
And before the builders came out, the surveyors had to come out first. And they had to survey the land and they had to decide where the first stake would go. Because if they didn't get the stake right, they couldn't lay the foundation properly. So they had to make sure that the building would be perpendicular to Otter Creek Road and parallel to Granny White Pike. And so as they surveyed and they laid the first stake, which was really the corner stake, the builders could come along later and then lay the foundation starting on that corner. And from that corner, the foundation was laid. And from that foundation came the building. And the reason why this church has been able to stand for 68 years thus far is because of the foundation on which it was built. Because had the foundation not been a sure foundation, had the foundation of this church not been a straight foundation, then that would mean this building could collapse and it could lean, it would not be safe for occupation. But because the foundation was right, what was built on it is now safe. And that was 68 years ago. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And he wasn't talking about buildings and edifices. He was talking about the universal spiritual body of Christ. And he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said to Peter, he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church because a building is only as dependable as what it's built upon. And Jesus said 2,000 years ago, I'm going to build my church on me, the rock, the foundation stone, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell will try, but hell cannot win because of what the church, the body of Christ, is built upon. It's built upon Christ. He's the rock, and he will not roll. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, goes a little further where Paul says that this church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Oh, we're here to talk today about cornerstones because I want to know who or what is the foundation of your life? Who or what are you built upon? Some people foolishly build their lives on themselves. Some people foolishly build their lives on their career or build their lives on their relationships and their children or build their lives on money. But there are others of us here who believe that if you build on those kinds of things, you are building on sand. And when the winds and the rains come, your life will not be able to stand because you have no foundation. But there are others of us who believe that when we build on the rock, who is Christ, we can withstand the same storms that come after you, come after us. Just because we're saved, we're not in a cocoon. Right. 
But because we are saved, we're kept secure. Nestled between the shortest psalm of the Bible and the longest psalm of the Bible, we have the most quoted psalm of the Bible. Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. And Psalm 118 happens to be the most quoted psalm in the Bible. Jesus quoted from Psalm 118 and the verses we just read today in Matthew chapter 21 during the last week of his earthly life when he was confronting the religious leaders with the truth that he was in fact the Messiah, God's son, and he would have battles with these men. And on one particular occasion, he tells a parable. And after he tells the parable, he says, have you not read? And he quotes from Psalm 118, verses 22 through 24, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Because Jesus was calling out the Pharisees, the scribes, and he was saying to them that you are the builders. You are the religious leaders of the day. You are supposed to build up the people of God. But rather than building with God's son, the cornerstone, you have rejected him. Matter of fact, you have cast him out. But just because you rejected him and just because you've cast him out, that doesn't mean that he is not God's cornerstone. So the question today is, is Christ Jesus the cornerstone of your life? I mean, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God any of the time. And the question is, is he your cornerstone? In 1984, right before I turned 16 years old, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And at that time, he became the foundation of my life. I didn't know all that that meant, but I did know that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And the Holy Spirit just touched my heart where I said I had to have Jesus Christ. And then probably three years after that, I had to rededicate on my dedication because although I dedicated my life to him, I really didn't know what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I ended up getting caught up with things in the world my junior year and senior year in high school that could have ruined my life. And then I went to a Christian college thinking that maybe that would set me on course but how many folks know that just because you're hanging around a bunch of Christians doesn't mean you're going to live like a Christian? I mean, just because I go into McDonald's, that doesn't make me a Big Mac. And just because you're hanging around with a bunch of Christians, that doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing. As a matter of fact, I enjoyed doing dirt around Christians because they were typically naive of the things of the world. But God got a hold of me. And he would not allow me to stay in that path because he bought me, not just to save my soul, but to change my life. And so I rededicated my life to Jesus. If you haven't had a dedication, today is the day of salvation. If you need to rededicate, because like Michael Jackson, you've been backsliding. You, you have been moonwalking your way of, away from the things of God. Today is the day to come back home and get it right in your heart and with God's people. 
Oh, if I can just have a few minutes, I want to share three things with you about this cornerstone. Number one, the builders rejected the cornerstone. Number two, God regarded the cornerstone. And then thirdly, the believers, that's us, we rejoice over the cornerstone. So let's break this down. Number one, the builders rejected the cornerstone. Look at verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected. Well, in ancient times, when it came time to build a building, the builders would go to the quarry. And at the quarry, they would try to find the best stone possible to be the cornerstone or the foundation stone of what they were building. And when they went to the quarry and they identified a stone, they, they, they wanted to make sure that it was a strong stone or a sure stone because they wanted to make sure that that stone would not crumble or crack under pressure, that that stone would not fall apart under the weight of what was going to be built upon it. So as they observed the stone, they observed the stone to see how strong or how sure it was. But because that stone sat in the corner, they also had to measure how straight it was. Because if the stone was not cut straight by the masons, then that would mean that every other stone that would be aligned to the cornerstone would be crooked, would be off, because the cornerstone itself was off. So they had to measure it properly. They had to make sure that it was sure, and they also had to make sure that it was straight. And when the Jews looked at Jesus, although he was sure and he was straight, they did not accept Jesus as the cornerstone because in their mind, Jesus had it all wrong. Jesus was from the wrong city for these folk because they said, uh, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of the hood? He's from the wrong neighborhood to be the Messiah. Then they said, he's got the wrong message He's going around here telling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's going around here talking about how our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are going to sit down at the table of brotherhood and people are going to come from every nation, from the north, the south, the east, the west. In other words, Gentiles are coming to be with the beloved patriarchs. He's got the wrong message. But then they would also say, uh, he's got the wrong demeanor. He's too humble. He's too lowly. He's too plain. We want our Messiah to be a little bit more, you know, self-assuring and, and to be a little bit more pomp and pious. But this guy talks about he has no place to lay his head. Oh, he, he's got the wrong demeanor. There, there, there was no form of comeliness about him that would make us desire him. He didn't walk around with a halo on his head. He didn't glow. He didn't levitate above everybody else. He was just like everybody else. So that when Judas came into the garden to identify the Christ, because he was just like you and me, Judas says, I'll point him out with a kiss so that you don't arrest the wrong person because Jesus didn't have clothes that glowed. Jesus didn't stand. He was just so ordinary. He had the wrong day. 
Because so often he would do his miracles on Saturday or on the Sabbath day. And the builders, the Jews despised him for that. And they would say, I know you just healed this woman. I know you just healed this man. But did you have to do it today? Why couldn't you wait for Friday? Why couldn't you wait for Sunday? Why couldn't you wait for Monday? But Jesus many times would heal people specifically on the Sabbath day to confront the people about their religiosity that was taking them to hell. They were so busy trying to keep the rules that their hearts were far from God. So Jesus exposed where their hearts were by confronting their legalism. Jesus, you got the wrong day. You can't be our stone. Not only that, you got the wrong followers kicking it with you. Because every rabbi would have followers or have disciples and they would look at Jesus as followers. And they would say, wait a minute, he's got unlearned men with him. They didn't go to our rabbinical schools. Matter of fact, their Galilean dialect is country grammar, and we're not trying to have these people put on a pedestal where they would embarrass us with their country slang. Not only that, he's got women hanging out with him. Women just following wherever he goes, providing for his substance. And not only does he have women hanging around and one of them had demons in her, oh my goodness, then he's got the nerve to have Gentiles being around him. He would specifically preach messages about Gentiles. But more than that, he had them sinners hanging with him. He had them hookers from the corner hanging with him. He had them alcoholics hanging with him. Matter of fact, he would go into their houses and sit down with him. That is not comely for our Messiah. So they rejected Jesus Christ. But they rejected him also because he had the wrong claims according to them. He would say, my father is working and so am I. He would say, my father and I are one. And the Jews rejected him because what he was saying is that he was equal with God. And he would say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. And they could not get with him. He said, matter of fact, I rejoice to see, or rather Abraham rejoiced to see my day. They said, man, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Well, before Abraham was, I am. They rejected him because he didn't come the way they thought the Messiah should come. And a lot of times we reject people in our lives because they don't come the way we think they should come. Or we reject them because they appear to be last down here. But Jesus said in the kingdom, though they are last, they are first. John 1.11 says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Oh, it's hard when your people reject you and turn their backs on you. Matter of fact, on Friday, Good Friday, when Jesus went through all of the unfair trials after having been arrested slapped, spat upon, and even whipped with a cat of nine tails. Pilate was trying to let him go. His wife had a dream saying that this man is an innocent man, and, and Pilate knew, and he said, I find no fault in him, but politics did Jesus sin. 
politics from an earthly standpoint, but sovereignty from a heavenly standpoint. Because the lamb had to die. But Pilate was struggling. So he said, y'all have a custom. I can let one of the prisoners go. And he pulled out the worst of the three other prisoners that would be crucified with Christ. He pulled out Barabbas, who had led an insurrection or a rebellion against the government, and he was a murderer. And Pilate was thinking, I know they're going to choose Jesus over Barabbas. Nobody wants him back on the streets. But guess what? They rejected Jesus, and they chose Barabbas. So then... Pilate is saying, oh, what should I do with your king, the king of the Jews? The builders or the scribes and the Pharisees, they went through the crowd to influence the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. The ultimate level of rejection was found in crucifixion. And then when Caesar said, or rather Pilate said, what should I do with your king the Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. So they rejected Jesus for Caesar. They rejected Jesus for Barabbas. And here's where we need to beware God's people. Because religious people will sacrifice Jesus in the name of politics. Don't you dare be a part of that group that your political platform is higher than the throne of God. Don't you dare sacrifice Jesus for your one or two or three points of your political party when you claim you're with God, but when people look at your life, they don't see God. They just see argumentative, hateful, divided people. These people claim to be with God, but they rejected Jesus in a political moment. May we never be guilty of that as God's people. They rejected the cornerstone, but secondly, God regarded the cornerstone. Verse 22b, the one they rejected has become. Rejection ended ultimately in crucifixion and death, but that's not how the story ends. Because in three days, God raised his son from the dead and he has become. He has become what? The chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. What is this in verse 23? This was the Lord's doing. What is this? The this is the rejection of his son. The rejection of his son was his doing. Yes, men played a role. The Jews and the Romans and our sin placed Jesus on the cross. But God had determined before man ever sinned that Jesus would be the solution for man's problem called sin and death. Because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, which means that he died before Adam and Eve sinned and we inherited sin and death from them. 
God didn't react with Christ. He had already predetermined that Christ would die because the God we serve is not bound by time like you and I are. He doesn't react. He predetermines even hard things. But when hard things are necessary things, he determined, according to Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, that what Pontius Pilate did had been approved by the hand of God. So this was the Lord's doing, the rejection of his son, the crucifixion of his son. God ordained that. This was his doing because he loved us. He wanted to make a way for us. But not only was the crucifixion and the death of Jesus God's doing, but the becoming the cornerstone was also God's doing. In other words, the resurrection was God's doing. So what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. This was the Lord's doing, and that's why this is good news. God regarded the cornerstone, so much so that in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will not act hastily. So God says, the one who predetermines all things, the sovereign God of the universe who elects and chooses, He said, I have placed in Zion amongst the people of God, right there in Jerusalem, I placed a foundation. I placed the tried stone. Not only is he a tried stone, God the Father says, he's a precious stone. He's precious. Peter would pick up on this in his epistle and mention this three times in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ was precious He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, Therefore, to you who believe, the cornerstone is precious. So he's just not some gangly stone, some rough stone. He's a precious cornerstone. We see worship coming forth in the identification of Christ as the cornerstone. He's precious. And for another man to call another man precious, That must mean that that one man must be the God man because any man that calls another man precious, you better watch that brother. (laughs) Unless it's my son or something. But Peter said, he's precious because God said he's precious. He's my beloved son. And when Jesus was baptized, Matthew chapter 3, a voice broke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God loved his son. But watch this. We'll talk about how God loves us, and he does. But let's break this down. John 17, 23, Jesus said that as my father has loved me, so has he loved you. In other words, the way God loves me is the way he loves you. So if God loves me, he loves you. And if God thinks Jesus is precious, that means he thinks that we are precious too. We've been made in his image. 
He makes no junk. Yes, sin has marred our condition, but he still loves us and thinks we're marvelous handiwork by him. So don't you believe the lie today about your nose being too wide or your hair being too kinky or your feet being flat or your behind being too big. Don't you believe the lie that you're not precious and fearfully made? He loves you. He loves everything about you. And that's why he gave his son so that your, his son could give his life so that your soul, body, and spirit might be redeemed. Because the people that we overlook, like the builders, those are the ones that God esteems. The ones that we put down and say, she's not pretty enough or he's not handsome enough. God values and esteems. One person's trash is another person's treasure. But with God, all of us are precious in his sight. It reminds me of Michelangelo the sculptor and his most famous sculpture. It's called David, King David. And he started the sculpture in 1501, and he ended it in 1504. At the age of 26, he was given this task by the church there in Florence, Italy. But by the time he got to this block of marble in 1501, two other sculptors had already passed on the deal. Matter of fact, the first sculptor, when he got the stone after they brought it from the quarry, he started working on the legs of David. But he stopped because he said that the stone was inferior. They got another sculptor to come in, and when this sculptor came, this sculptor just looked at that marble and says, I'm not even going to put a chisel to it like the first sculptor because I'm looking at this slab that y'all got, and it is inferior, and I'm not going to waste my time on this inferior marble. And that marble sat in the courtyard of the church for 25 years getting rained on. But one day, they selected Michelangelo. And Michelangelo said, well, what y'all thought was trash, I see some treasure here. And he began to pick up where the first sculptor left off, and he sculpted the legs of David all the way up to his torso, his hands, and his head. And then that thing was recognized as one of the greatest pieces of artwork in the Renaissance. How could he do that? He saw something in it that no one else did. God delights in his son, and he delights in you, even when no one else sees what's in us, and they want to get rid of us. They want to discard us. They want to put us in the trash. But sometimes God does his best work in the dumpster. And he'll come get you. But finally... Not only do we see the rejection of the cornerstone and the regarding of the cornerstone, but we see the believers rejoicing in the cornerstone. Oh, I hope you're ready to rejoice. Because verse 23 says, this was the Lord's doing. What is this again? The rejection and resurrection of the cornerstone. It is marvelous in our eyes. Our eyes as believers. It, it. 
the rejection and the resurrection of the cornerstone, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of God, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. And the psalm writer is saying that we should rejoice today because God made the day. So should we not rejoice on April 1st and tomorrow if we live April 2nd because it's the day the Lord has made? No one can make a day but God. God is the one who causes the sun to rise, but technically it doesn't rise. The sun stays there and the earth rotates on its axis. He, he's the one that does all of that. He makes the day. The alarm clock didn't wake you up this morning. God did. He makes the day and we should rejoice that we have another day in the land of the living but I got to go a little bit deeper. The only reason why this day makes sense is because of that day when the cornerstone died. This day makes sense. This day has purpose because on that day, the cornerstone was resurrected. So what happened on that day 2,000 years ago puts this day in the right perspective. Because of that day, I can rejoice today. Because of that day, I can have hope today. Because of that day, I can have joy today. Because of that day, I can have purpose today. So if I'm walking around this day without purpose, without joy, without hope, it must mean that I have forgotten what happened on that day. Because if what happened on that day was all that, then that would affect this day. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he's like, I know some of y'all don't believe in the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, that means that Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, because you just can't figure it out, it doesn't make sense to you. If Christ didn't rise, you are still in your sins. And then he says in verse 19, if Jesus is not alive, we or you ought to be miserable. Or in the NIV, pitied. What does that word mean? That word miserable in the King James Version means if Jesus didn't get up, then other people in the world ought to feel sorry for you as a Christian. If Jesus didn't get up, the world pities you. Why? Because you've given all your life for a dead man. You've given your money to the church of a dead man. You've kept your body pure for the sake of a dead man. You have walked away from evil because of a dead man. You've dedicated your children in the name of a dead man. And the world should feel sorry for you because all this time you wasted worshiping a dead man. You are miserable and the world ought to pity you. And Christians live. Many times, like, Christ didn't get up because we live so miserably. <laughs> we live without so much hope. And, man, I tell you what, when I'm around unbelievers and they have joy, whether naturally or brought about by uh, the grape or by the herb, I'm not going to let an unbeliever have more joy and hope than me. I'm not going to let you out-testify me. You're not going to have more bounce in your step than me. So I'm not going to walk around here miserable like Christ is dead. I'm not going to walk around here 
hoping that the world feels sorry for me. No, I feel sorry for the world if you don't come to this Christ to get your life in order. So no, he is risen. And because of that, it puts everything in the right perspective. So therefore, I have a reason to rejoice or to have joy again. Because he is risen, because he is alive, I have joy. I have peace. Rejoice because he died. Rejoice because he's risen. Rejoice because he's coming back. Rejoice because he's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the bright and morning star. You got to rejoice because he is the chief cornerstone. He's the door of heaven. He's the express image of God. He's the faithful witness. He's the first and last. I just got to rejoice because he's the good shepherd. He's the holy one of God. He is Emmanuel and he's with me right now. He is Jehovah. He is the king. He is the Lord. He's the mediator. I'm going to rejoice no matter what my circumstances say. Because that day affects this day. So this is the day that the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to be glad in it. The builders rejected the cornerstone. But God regarded the cornerstone. And now the believers rejoice in the cornerstone. So as the team comes back, we're, we're going to leave out with a song of rejoicing. But as they're coming, I want you to hear me. Hear this. This building, as I mentioned, was dedicated in 1950. But it was rededicated, if you will, in February of 2014, that's when Strong Tower got this building. And we brought in Dr. Tony Evans from Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship to pray and dedicate this building. Because when the cornerstone would come out, and sometimes the word cornerstone can be translated as capstone. The, 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 the stone that would be on the top of the building or present where people could walk by and see it. And they would inscribe the architect the date in which it was built and all of that, the, the, the capstone, the cornerstone. And Tony Evans dedicated this building. He rededicated it for the work that God has called Strong Tower to do from here and through here and in here. You may be a person, you've never dedicated your life to Jesus. You've never given him your life. You've never asked him to be the foundation of your life. Today is the day for you to do that. And if you have done that, you may need to rededicate on your dedication because your building up top doesn't look like the foundation below that you profess. What's on top should be consistent with what's below. And Paul said, be careful how you build on this foundation. So if you say he's my foundation, but you've been building under your own plans and not sticking to the blueprint of scripture, you need to repent. You need to rededicate your life. So as I pray, I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm praying for myself. Let's pray, Lord God. You didn't have to do it, but you did. 
You did not leave us in our sin, and you did not give us what our sins deserve. You gave us mercy, compassion. You demonstrated love in that while we were still sinners, your son died. You didn't wait for us to get it together because we couldn't get it together. But your son came. And he was judged in our place. He tasted death for us so that we don't have to be eternally separated from you. And those of us who trust him not only have eternal life, but we also have abundant life. No, it's not perfect, but Lord, it's good because you're with us. If there's someone here today, you've never dedicated your life to Jesus. You've never asked the Lord to save you, to be your Lord. You may have grown up in church. You may have been water baptized, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. He's not your foundation stone. He's not your cornerstone. He's not your rock. Make him your rock today. And if you need the Lord, you want to be saved, you want to be born again from your heart to God's heart, say, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I turn from living life my way. And I turn to you. I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And I invite you into my life to be my foundation, to be my savior, to be my Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, we're still praying. Christians are praying for the first time. I, I, I just want to see for myself. You just raise your hand where you are. You pray that, Jesus, I dedicate my life to you for the first time. Just raise your hand. Today is that day for you. It's a great day. Angels are rejoicing. Is there one? As we continue in prayer, you may say, I need to rededicate my life to the cornerstone. I've been doing my own thing. I've been suffering for it. I don't have peace. I don't have joy. Matter of fact, I'm miserable. And today, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Thank you that you never stopped being my father, even though sometimes I act like a bastard child. But I repent today. I turn back to you and I say, Lord, help me through this season. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you saying today you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, like I had to do in college. And really, as I do every day. But some of us need that momentous turn. Would you raise your hand? Pastor Chris, I, I need to rededicate my life. I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? We can be honest in here. I see that hand. God sees that hand, but above all, he sees that heart.
because of the cornerstone, we can get aligned again. And because of the cornerstone, his death and his resurrection, we have so much to rejoice about. Because when we are not faithful, he remains faithful. He's steady, he's sturdy, he's strong, he's straight, he's our rock. He's our God. He's our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, 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 would you stand to your feet right now? Would you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. Uh, we got to sing a praise song. Okay? Now, now children, we got an announcement for you because I know you think about that candy and you, you sat so well. You're about to be rewarded. But first, we got to give them one final praise. Is that all right? I said, is that all right? Before you go eat and get that Easter nap, we got one more praise to give the Lord.